0: We are the church, uh, and the church is a place where we come together to be known, to be valued, to be loved, and to find a purpose for our our lives. You know, it's one of the only places in life, maybe outside of uh, the instruction and guidance you get at home, that makes an all-out effort to help you grow in your faith in God. I mean, no reservations, no hesitations, no put on. We are all about Jesus, here, right? We are all about him. Um, you know, I want you to get out of the rut that you're in and deepen your faith this morning in Jesus' name. Uh, deepen your faith is how you live out this relationship, this friendship with God. That, that's quite a calling, and that's what I hope for and have expectation for our service this morning. So grab your outline. Uh, it has a lot of scripture on it for you. Uh, as we get ourselves in alignment with him, uh, we talked last week about open and closed doors that, that, that God brings into our life. Uh, seeing those next steps with eyes of faith. Uh, seeing with eyes of faith is our focus today. I want to give you like multiple Old Testament examples and drill down on one example that we can apply to our life in understanding what God is teaching us. Wouldn't it be amazing if you could see God deepen your faith this morning in this place? If you went out different because of what he's doing, do you believe that that's possible? Well, let's, let's ask Jesus to do it. I mean, let's pray for God, just like I said in the prayer. Let's pray for God to speak to us, speak to you, speak to me, and help us to respond. So if you've got your outline, let's go. Uh, the Bible says, uh, that first verse on your outline is uh, Romans 1.17. And it says, the, this good news, uh, you know, the word good news is the word gospel. So this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith, say say through faith, through faith that a righteous person has life. So notice it says right right from the beginning, this is how it works, that from start to finish, this relationship with God is about faith. It's not about Simply works or things that we would accomplish. It starts and it ends with faith. The the next verse, uh, Hebrews 11:6, says, "Without faith, it is impossible." See that? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, that's enough reason right there to ask God to build our faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Did you know that God wants to reward you for earnestly seeking him? I mean, if if you believe that, the Bible says the just will live by faith, that faith uh, is through a righteous person that you have life by faith. Now, if the Bible says the way to live is by faith, if we, the way we connect to God is by faith, and without faith, it's impossible to please God, what in the world is faith? Well, faith is sort of like a diamond. It has multi-facets to it. And one of the evidences, one of the elements of faith that I want us to start off with is is this this definition. Faith is seeing from God's point of view. Have you ever had something in your your life where you saw something differently and you said, I never saw that before. I just didn't see it. Faith is seeing from God's point of view. Now I'm going to come back to that, but first I want to talk about uh, like briefly what faith is not. Uh, Sometimes it helps us to know what faith is not so that we can then understand what it is. So faith, several things on the outline there. Faith is not desire. Like if you wish for something, you you can hope for it, you can pray for it, you can desire it, even crave it, but it doesn't mean that it's faith. Faith is not just desire. Desire might lead you to faith. You might desire that, but desire alone is not faith. It's like the kid that wanted a car. This teenager, he wanted so bad to have a car. Well, that was his number one goal. That was his desire, but it wasn't faith. Faith and desire are not necessarily the same thing. Faith is also not pretending that something is true that is not true. I mean. I could have some butter up here, and I could tell you all day this butter is chocolate. And I have faith that it's chocolate. Now, it doesn't matter how much faith I've got, that butter is not chocolate. Uh, Faith is not psyching yourself up and pretending that something is that is not really true. Uh, You're not conning yourself into believing something. Faith is not desire. Faith is uh, is not just, um, you know, believing something. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is not a feeling. In fact, feelings often get in the way of faith because you feel a certain way and you want to go that way and you want to do this thing. And feelings uh, are what we tend to rely on sometimes instead of faith, Right? A lot of times faith says, I'm, I'm going to move ahead in spite of my feelings. I'm going to do the right thing in spite of my feelings. That is faith, not just feelings. Last one that's not, faith is not bargaining with God. Faith is not bargaining with God. It's, it's not to say, God, if you'll do this, then I'll do that. Lord, if you do this, then I'll do that. Like a bribe or a bargain with God. That's not faith. We're going to look at Um, some pictures of faith that is a way of seeing. Faith is a way of looking at the world from God's point of view. It's having God's perspective. So what is faith? Hebrews 11.1 says, what is faith? Faith is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. Not might happen, not hopefully happen, but what we hope for is going to happen and to be certain of the things we do not yet see. Would you just like circle that if you got a little pencil there? uh, Circle that, we do not yet see. So faith is being certain of things that you haven't seen yet. It has to do with vision, like inner vision, like heart vision. The Bible says that faith is a way of seeing. Now, I'm sure you realize that there's more than one way of looking at things. Certainly if you're married, right? There's more than one way of looking. If you have kids, there's more than one way of looking at things. Sometimes there might be dozens of ways uh, of looking at things differently. But what really matters is not how you see it, not how I see it, but how does God see it? How does God view it? Faith is learning to see things from God's point of view, having his vision. Now, like the, one of the master verses in the Bible on this idea is Ephesians 1.18. Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be flooded with light so that you can, what? See, so that you can see, so that you can see the wonderful future that God has promised to those he called. Notice what he's talking about. He's talking that he that your eyes, the eyes of your heart, would be opened. We we sing in that sometimes, don't we? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. See what is, what does that mean? What is Paul talking about? The eyes? Do my do, do your heart? Does your heart have eyes to see? What this verse is talking about is so important, that there is an unseen realm in the world that is more real than the seen realm. No amens over there. I thought I might get one or two about that. That there is an unseen realm that is more real than the seen realm. Okay, thank you. All right, uh, let me help you. Uh, This pulpit... Uh, right here it is made of acrylic and wood and you can see it but you cannot see the Holy Spirit. However the Holy Spirit is more real than this pulpit. The Holy Spirit is going to live for eternity because he is God. this this pulpit is going to break, fall apart and wear out. See the Bible says that everything you see, is temporary. Your body, your hair, a lot of other things, anything that you see is temporary. It's not gonna last. The things that are going to last are actually the unseen and that's where the faith realm comes in. The Bible has a lot of different examples for us about seeing with spiritual eyes, seeing with our heart. I'll I'll give you just a few, and then we'll land on one. Uh, Some Old Testament examples. The Bible tells us in Genesis uh, 21 about Hagar and her son Ishmael, and they have been cast out by Abraham and a jealous Sarah. So, Hagar and her son are sent out into the desert, and she's there in the desert with no water, and she realizes that she and her son are going to die. Hagar calls out to God in the middle of the desert, and she goes, Lord, don't let me watch my child die. All of a sudden, the Bible tells us God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water in the middle of the desert, and they lived. God opened her eyes. The Bible tells us in 2 Kings chapter 6 about Elisha and his helper his servant uh, Gehazi and how me- this enemy nation was coming against them this army against Jerusalem and the Jews and Ge- Gehazi was very frightened very upset he was having like a panic attack and Elisha says to Ge- Gehazi I don't want you to be upset and then he prays Lord open the eyes of my servant all of a sudden Gehazi's spiritual vision is opened up and he sees a realm of angels surrounding the city of Jerusalem. And all of a sudden he wasn't scared anymore. (laughs) Pretty good. You wouldn't be either if you saw a realm of angels around you. God opened his spiritual eyes The Bible tells us in Genesis 13 that God takes Abraham up on a hill and he says, look at the stars. And he says, just imagine, this is going to be your heritage, your ancestry. These are going to be the number of people in your nation, as many as you can count and even more. The Bible says God opened his eyes. He had a moment of spiritual clarity. New Testament after the resurrection. The Bible tells us in Luke 24 about these two disciples that are walking down a road, headed home to the small place called Emmaus. And they're all upset, and they're discouraged because Jesus died on the cross, and their hopes have been crushed, their dreams have been dashed, and they're in despair. All of a sudden, Jesus comes along walking with them, and they have a conversation, and they invite him in for dinner, and they don't recognize who he is, and they sit down. And when he blessed the bread, when he blessed the meal, it says, God, open their eyes. And all of a sudden they realized Jesus was in their midst. See, that's what God wants to do in you. He wants to open the eyes of faith. Jesus is here. Jesus is with us. God has a plan much bigger than my plan for my life. So here's what I want to do couple things. I want us to look at what happens when you look at things with the eyes of fear and what difference it makes when you look at it with eyes of faith. Because until we understand how important it is to see everything in our life through the eyes of faith, you're going to be looking at it from the wrong perspective. So this last example uh, in the the Old Testament, the book of Numbers, chapter 13 and 14, it's a book that probably isn't read all that much by people, but it's got a lot of spiritual truth in it. So here's the background of Numbers 13 and 14. Moses has led the nation of Israel out of uh, bondage to freedom. He got them free from Pharaoh and from the Egyptians, and they crossed the Red Sea. They've been traveling for about two years, not 40 years yet, but about two years from Egypt, taking a very slow pace. Why? Because they had so many people. I mean, you think about dragging that group on a, on a little trip. Uh, and so they're slow, and they're making their way, and they come to this place called Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea is a little place that's kind of a, on this side of land, and then on the other side was what God had told them was the promised land. This was land that had been promised to them for four hundred years and that they would have their own country, that they would have freedom and they would be free from slavery. When when they got to the edge of the water before they go in, Moses says, I'm going to pick 12 guys to go in and spy out the land for us and they're going to do a little reconnaissance. They're going to check out what's going on and do a little fact finding. So 12 spies are chosen by Moses and they're sent to go visit. Aren't you excited? It's like a show, man. You can just see what's happening there. These spies are out there and it's incredible. Uh, the, two of the spies come back, two of the 12, and they say, it's amazing. Let's go for it. It's ready for the taking. God has given us truly the promised land. Those two spies were named Joshua and Caleb. The other 10 spies come back and they say, yeah, it's a great place, but, and they have this whole list of problems that we can't do it. They're not seeing with eyes of faith. They're seeing with eyes of fear. Now, you know Joshua and Caleb, but there were some other guys. Let's some of these other names. Uh, any of you going to name your children Shaphat? No, nobody. Egal, Palti, Gadiel, Amiel, uh, Nabi, uh, Shamua, not the whale, but, you know, Sh- Shamua. Uh, and then you got Caleb and Joshua. Here's the point. Nobody remembers the negative guys. Nobody remembers the negative guy. Nobody remembers the critics who say it can't be done. The only people who get remembered are the guys who say, let's go in God's name. Let's have eyes of faith. With others, they had eyes of fear. Now, because they failed to see with eyes of faith, that, listen to me, that entire generation missed God's purpose for their life. God said, okay, okay. You fail the test, you can wander around the wilderness for the next 40 years until you all die. Somebody the other day told me 68 people die a day for 40 years. Think about that. I don't want that to happen in your life. I don't want you to wander in the wilderness for 40 years and then die simply because you didn't learn to see with eyes of faith. Now, what happens when you see with eyes of fear over against seeing with eyes of faith? I'm going to give you five things quickly. Look at it with me and write them down. First, five things that happen when you see with eyes of fear, and they're all here in Numbers chapters 13 and 14. Number one, we exaggerate our difficulties. We exaggerate our difficulties. Now, here's the amazing thing. God has just delivered them from Egypt, right? From the most powerful nation in the world at that time. And yet now they're worried about some little local tribe in this, in this nation right across the stream from where they are. And... They're worried about somebody else, how quickly they forget, how quickly we forget, right? When you look at your problems with eyes of fear, the problems get bigger. The more you look at your problem, the more exaggerated it gets. Oh, I can show you. Somebody criticizes you about something, and pretty soon the whole world's against you. You've got a little criticism, and it grows by proportion. Numbers 13, 27, and 28, here's the negative report. It's a magnificent land, said the negative spies, but it's a magnificent land, but the people living there are powerful and their cities are fortified and large. What's more, we saw Anakin giants there. Now, you know, that's not Anakin of the tribe of Skywalker and the force was with them and all that stuff. So, you know, sorry, that's another story. Um, a little confused there. Um, the next verse Number 1331 says, the spies said they'd crush us. So the majority report of the spies was a negative. I want to tell you something. The majority report is almost always negative. The majority report is almost always anybody who's going to get something done in the world uh, is going to have to go against the majority report because the majority of people are going to be looking with eyes of fear rather than eyes of faith. Come on. They said, we see these people and they would crush us. That word there, that Hebrew word is actually akal, A-K-A-L, and it means to devour or to be eaten up. They said, they're going to eat us alive. They're too strong. They're bullies. They're tyrants. They're going to take us on, and we're going to be crushed. Only two spies have faith, Joshua and Caleb, and yet the people always trust the minority, right? No. They listen. You know, the world is more, there are more people in this room uh, in the world around you, in your life, that are worriers rather than faithful, to have faith in God. I mean, if you're going to listen to people out around you, there are going to be a lot more worriers that are filled with fear and negativity rather than people that are positive. Do you know that negative attitudes are contagious? Don't raise your hand. We get that, don't we? You know, everybody's excited to go into the promised land, but it was only when 10 come back and say we can't do it that everybody changed their mind and began to get infected with this negative attitude. So here's what's ironic. It says this place is filled with giants and we can't take them on and they're too big for us and too powerful. 38 years later, when they're getting ready to go go in to the promised land, you know what the enemy said? The enemy said, we have lived in panic for almost 40 years. Because we heard about the 10 plagues of Egypt, and we heard what God had done against the most powerful leader in the world, Pharaoh, and and we were scared to death, and we were ready to surrender. But they needlessly walked around for 40 years. See, we exaggerate our difficulties. Second thing we do with eyes of fear is we underestimate our own abilities. We underestimate our own abilities. We exaggerate the problem, and then we underestimate ourselves. Number thirty-three, thirteen. 13. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. You want to talk about low self-esteem, man. They're saying we're bugs. We're grasshoppers. They're going to eat us for lunch. We can't do it. We saw ourselves like grasshoppers in their own eye. I mean, that is a bad self-image, right? And we look the same to them. I mean, how do they know how they looked to the enemy? They didn't. But there's a word for that. It's, the word is called projection. Projection is where you project your fears on everybody else, You project your fears like everybody else is thinking about you the same way. They're projecting their fears. They've been slaves for 400 years. They've been freed for just a little while, and they are mentally enslaved, helpless, and they see themselves in bondage. They're enslaved not by Pharaoh, but by their own head, their own heart, by a self-concept. Think about this. Many years ago, people might have said something negative about you. Maybe people have come against you or criticized you or hurt your feelings. Do you know it's so easy? I know you won't believe this, but it's so easy for people to still believe that even though it was said years ago. Oh, no, you believe that, don't you? Because it might be you. Still believing those things that are holding you enslaved You're still enslaved to somebody else's image of you. Maybe you had a parent or a partner or a friend or a brother or a sister that said, "Uh, you're uncoordinated. And you think you're uncoordinated because that's what they said. Or you think you're never going to amount to anything. You're not any good at doing this or that. They told you all these things and you're not in Egypt anymore, but you're still in bondage. All you can hear is what I can't do. See, your primary identity is not your fear. Your primary identity is not your sin. Your primary identity is not your fault. It's not your weakness. It's not your miscues and your failures. Your primary identity is in Jesus Christ. Praise his name. You know, we are believers who struggle, maybe with loneliness or worry or panic, but that's not your primary identity. You are seeing with eyes of fear rather than eyes of faith. We overestimate the problem. We underestimate our abilities. Number three. Um, the, we recognize thirdly uh, that we get disappointed. We get uh, disappointed, recognizing, uh, we're going to move on a little bit there if you want to. Uh, what happens when you see you get discouraged, disappointed? They overestimated the problem. They underestimated their abilities. They were just like grasshoppers. And then they got discouraged. Notice 14, 1 of numbers. Then all the people began weeping aloud. And they carried on all night. They had a big old pity party, didn't they? Poor us weeping and crying. They didn't get to go into the promised land. You know what's keeping them out? God's not. Their fear is. They're not living by faith and they get discouraged. Quickly, number four uh discouragement goes to griping oh that ever happened to you oh don't no we uh, they're discouraged and then they start griping about their lives and everything that's going wrong numbers 14 2 says all night pity party and it says all the israelites grumbled against moses and aaron they they picked on the leaders of course we wish we had died in egypt they wailed and even here in the wilderness. First, they mourn, and then they murmur. They cry, and then they complain. And what is it? It's discontent. You know, highly critical people always have a lot of insecurity. it's, It's dominated by fear. I mean, when you find somebody that is way critical all the time, they're incredibly insecure and don't feel good about themselves or anything else. So if I'm not going to feel good about it, you know, I don't want you to feel good about it. I'm going to criticize you and complain, and I'm going to go against any success you might have. So we underestimate ability. We get discouraged. We gripe about our lives. Number five, uh, we eventually give up and blame God. We give up and blame God. Why is it, Lord? Why is the Lord bringing us to this land to be killed with swords? We'd better, we'd be better off going back to Egypt. You know what they're saying? God doesn't know what He's doing. God does not know best. They're blaming God and not for, for not letting them get into the Promised Land. But He's not holding them back. They're second guessing Him, and all of a sudden they're remembering the good old days of Egypt. The good old days of Egypt—four hundred years of slavery. Why would anybody want to go back to Egypt? It was slavery. It was, but it was safety. You ever thought about safety? slavery. You know, a lot of people get stuck in safe slavery, enslaved by a relationship, enslaved by fears, enslaved by habits, enslaved by compulsion, enslaved by uh, this thought that they, they, they can't accomplish it, they can't do that, whatever God wants. They really don't like it, but it's predictable and it's safe. You know, they're confused, confusing slavery and safety. Those are not the same thing. You know, you can have habits that are like self-defeating, but it's comfortable. You just keep on doing it. Safety and freedom are on the opposite ends of the continuum. You're either moving towards safety and slavery, or you're moving toward walking through open doors by faith and freedom that God has for you. You know, God is a risk taker. He opens doors, and he don't show you what's on the other side, and he asks you to walk through. You got all five of those? Now, let me contrast those with what the Bible says when you start living your life, seeing everything by faith, learning to see with God's vision, learning to look at things not as they are, but as God says they could be. How do you do you do that? And what what is the difference that it makes in my life? So we got five of these. Write them down really quickly. Come on, you got your pencil right there. Write these down. What happens when we have when we see things with eyes, eyes of faith? Now I could give you a couple dozen right out of this scripture, but I'll give you five. Number one, faith shrinks my problems. Faith shrinks my problems. The first thing that I do when I begin to open my eyes, the eyes of my heart to the Lord, I begin to see what God is doing around me and I begin to see things from God's viewpoint and it shrinks my problem. It gives you a new perspective. See, when, when you see your problems from God's point of view, then everything gets a whole lot more manageable. See, if you have a big God, problems are small. If you have a small God, you got big problems. When you come to the Lord, you're saying, Lord, you're a big God and you can handle this problem and I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to trust you in my life. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to see with eyes of faith and I'm going to let you work this out. I'm going to relax. You say, well, how's it all going to get solved? Well, I have no idea, but that's God's problem, right? That's his problem. Faith shrinks my problem. Genesis 18, 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? What's the answer? No, nothing's too hard for the Lord. Luke 1, Jesus says, for nothing will be impossible with God. I have a friend that told me one time that he had a dictionary in his office, and they took the dictionary out, and he found the word impossible, and he cut it out of the dictionary. Why'd you do that? Because if it's not in God's vocabulary, I don't want it in mine. Nothing is impossible with God. Faith shrinks the problem. Number two, faith opens door, opens the door for a miracle. Faith can move mountains. I mean, if you study the Bible and you study uh, the scripture, you find that every time that God moves on the earth and does a miracle, it's because somebody believed. Faith opens the door miracles mark 11 have faith in God if you have faith in God you will you don't doubt you could tell this mountain to get up and jump into the sea and it would whatever you ask for in prayer will be yours if you only have faith what's he talking about telling a mountain to jump into the sea Well, see, God has set up the universe in kind of a a perspective of laws, and the law of faith is actually higher than the law of nature. The law of faith higher than the law of nature, because when faith is in place, the law of faith goes into practice, and God can do anything even beyond physics. It makes no sense for him to say, throw this, have faith, and the mountain will jump into the sea. But what he's trying to tell you is there is nothing impossible for God. That faith trumps everything. What's the mountain in your life? What's the mountain that needs to be moved? What's the thing that you are weighing over in your life? This thing that you think will never be moved. It's never going to change. It will never move. What is the mountain in your life that you're saying it's already decided? You know, that's a self-defeating, self-fulfilling prophecy. How do you know? How do you know it's done? How do you know if God is in, in charge? You know, God has moved in the past. He, was, he is moving in the present, and he has done it all around. Faith opens the door for miracles. God is in the mountain-moving business. You must not doubt Now, one time Jesus said, this is not on the screen for you, but Matthew 13 says, Jesus did not do many miracles there. He's talking about the town where he was because of their lack of faith. Their lack of faith caused Jesus not to do miracles. You say, well, I don't have any miracles happening in my life. Wonder why. See, eyes of fear, eyes of faith. Faith shrinks my problems. It opens doors to miracles, number three. Faith faith moves God to act on my behalf. Faith moves God to act on my behalf. Now, don't get me wrong. It moves God to act. Now, I don't believe or subscribe to like health and wealth theology where God ends up being our servant and God serves you rather than you serving God. And God becomes like the genie and you rub the lamp and you pray a prayer or you drop your 50 cent into the slot machine or whatever and you hit the jackpot. God's not your genie. God is God and we are not. He is not simply catering to my every whim. He's just not. But at the same time, Matthew 9, Jesus says, according to your faith, it will be done to you. God says, "You get to choose how much blessing comes into your life according to your faith. It will be done to you." You know, so I can use a little quarter cup, or I could use a full cup, or I could use a big old bowl, or I could just get me a big old dump truck, right, to measure our faith. Because he, it's not, he's not his blessing. Is not because I deserve it. I don't deserve it. Not because I'm smarter, or or because I'm. You know, Maybe you're better looking. Not because of any of those human things. God works in my life. God works in your life when you expect him to by faith. I expect him to use me. I expect him to use you. According to your faith, it will be done to you. If you expect God to do a little in your life, he's going to do a little. If you expect God to do a lot in your life, he'll do a lot. If you expect God to do nothing in your life, he won't do a thing. He says, by faith. See, that's what I'm doing this morning. It's pushing you, pushing your faith. This is why he wants to stretch you and challenge you because he doesn't want you to be satisfied living your faith life in the kiddie pool, in the shallow part of life. He wants us to put on our big boy and big girl swimsuit and get into the deep end. To challenge us to believe God more than we've ever believed him before. Praise him. I believe God for some really big things. But it didn't start there. It started with the development of the muscle of faith. A little bit of the, you know, when you see God do one thing, then you begin to see him do other things. And he begins to press us and to push us, stretch us and challenge us. The Bible says, according to your faith, it will be done. Anything. Any of you, you, if you're a parent, you know, my mom or dad, you know, you have such desire to bring pleasure to your kids, especially your grandkids. I mean, that's me for sure. Um, you know, we, we want to give them pleasure. It gives God pleasure providing blessings for his children. It gives God pleasure watching you succeed to walk through the open doors. He says, "Whoa, that's my girl. I mean, she's being exactly who I made her to be. That's my guy. He's being exactly who I created him to be. The Bible says God takes pleasure in bringing blessing to his saints. According to your faith, it will be done to you. See, the problem is that we think the wrong thing moves God. See, God is never moved by griping. God is never moved by my complaining or my grumbling, my whining. None of that moves God. God is moved when I say, I'm trusting you. I'm expecting you to keep your promise. You put your name on that promise and I'm trusting you for it. Wow. Number four, Fourth benefit, faith unlocks all the promises of God. I mean, we talked about this hundred times at PFN. I mean, there are thousands of promises in the Bible. The Bible is full of it, cover to cover, thousands of promises. They're like blank checks waiting for you to claim them. And if you want to be a person of faith, you want to be a man of faith, a woman of faith, you must learn to trust in the promises of God. Memorize promises of God that you can claim in your life. 2 Corinthians 1 20. This is an incredible verse. It says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are all, what is it? Yes in Christ. Circle that. All the promises of God, they are yes in Christ. God has made promises. And in Christ, in your relationship with Christ, by faith, he unlocks the promises of God. So if you just try to look at it in this way, like you're going you're to, re- it's sort of like this. If you, um, you know, b- bought this house and when you got this house, uh, you know, just about everything was out of it. And then you, you went up into the attic. And in the attic, you get you, you find this letter. And in this letter, in this leftovers that are left in the attic, there's a letter promising a million dollars to anybody who finds this letter. Whew! That, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? It'd be useful though if you knew who wrote the letter, right? But I mean, what good's the letter if you don't know who's going to guarantee this this promise that's been given? So I'll give whoever has this letter a million dollars. You can only use it. You can only claim the promise if you know the name, the address, where to find the person making this promise. See, the promises in the Bible only apply if you know the author, if you know the giver of the promise. All the promises of God are yes in Christ. When you know him, you're hooked to the promise. You know him personally because he's the guarantor of the promises of God and faith unlocks those promises last one number five get to the end number five faith gives me the power to hold on in tough times faith it gives me the power to hold on in tough time now why is that important because faith doesn't always get you out of the problem you know that right faith often takes you through the problem Faith doesn't always take away the pain, but faith gives you the ability to handle the pain. Faith doesn't make life easier and like nothing is ever going to go wrong again. We remember you always may have pain and suffering, but faith gives you the ability to handle it. Uh, It might not take you out of the storm, but it will calm you in the midst of the storm. Um, I remember reading stories about this woman named Corey Tin Boom, who was a young woman who was in the Nazi death camps in Auschwitz. She said that the people who lasted in those camps were those who had the deepest faith. Why? Because faith gave the power to hang on in tough times. It provided persistence, resilience, you know, that's one of the most important characteristics that we could teach our children is to be resilient, to be resilient uh, by faith. Why? Because nobody gets through life without an unbroken chain of difficulties and failures and mistakes. We all get embarrassed. We all have struggles. We all have pressures. Uh, The people who make it in life are those who are resilient people of faith. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9, Paul's testimony. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed and not broken. We are perplexed. That means we're confused and we don't know what to do. We're perplexed, but we don't give up and quit. Amen? We're attacked, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but not knocked out. We get up and we keep going resilient through our faith. I remember when I was a kid, you know, the, they had the, the Russians and the Americans, they were all trying to, get, to the, uh, get into outer space, and the Russians were a little bit ahead, and they sent this guy up in there, his name was Yuri Gargarian, and Yuri went up there, and when he came back, he said, oh, it was amazing, I was like an eagle, he said, but when I went up there and searched the heavens, I found no God says, I looked for God in the heavens when I was up there, and I did not see there wasn't. And all the atheists applauded. You proved that there is no God. Then we sent up John Glenn. John Glenn went up the Gemini program, and he was the astronaut and senator. And he went up, and he circled the earth three times, and he came back down. First interview, you know what he said? I saw God everywhere. I felt his glory in the heavens. The power of the sun, the the stars. I saw God everywhere. So which one of them was telling the truth? Both of them. Jesus said, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So you can't see what God is doing behind the scenes. You can't see the miracles. You can't see the mighty things that he's doing if you look through an attitude of fear rather than eyes of faith. So... How you, how's your faith going to grow? I'll give you three quick things. Number one, um, get going with Jesus. Get going with Jesus. Give your life to Christ today. Trust him and be saved. I mean, if you never open your life to Jesus, there's a simple step. I mean, get going with Jesus. Tell Jesus, yes, I want to know you. I open my life to you. Open my heart to you. I want to love you. I'm going to trust you and follow you. I put my faith in you today. You want to start seeing the things that God is up to? Give your heart to Jesus. Or maybe that's where you are. So I would say number two, get growing with Jesus. Like be discipled. Read your Bible. Study the Bible. Pray more. I mean, if you already know him, tell him, I want to get growing Jesus, help me to see with eyes of faith, not fear. Help me open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. Are you being discipled? Are you growing? You know, all you got to do here at PFN is talk to somebody on staff. Talk to me, talk to one of our staff members and say to them, I'd love to to be discipled. Mark that on on your communication card there today and somebody will help you to be discipled, to begin to see with eyes of faith. Last thing, get showing. Get showing Jesus to others. Tell others about him. Tell others, share, shine. Let your personal culture be that people are able to see the light of Christ shining through you. So let's get going. Let's get growing. Let's get showing that faith is how we view things around us. God's eyes, God's viewpoint. What would that change for you? What could happen to you if you looked at your life through eyes of faith? Would you bow with me? Lord, thank you for not getting frustrated with somebody like me or somebody like that one that's watching here today or someone seated in this sanctuary. We've blown it a bunch of times. But Lord, we realize that your word teaches so profoundly. There's such a huge difference between looking at things the way I've been looking at them and looking with eyes of faith. Lord, I just tell you today, I know that preaching a message like this, we could just go on our way and nothing be any different. But Lord, what do you want to do with this crowd? What do you want to do with those that are watching? What do you want to do with me? Help us, Lord, to change our ways to not just listen to a sermon and sing a few songs and then go our way and keep looking through eyes of fear. Help us to walk out of here with eyes of faith. Help us to see the open doors, the promised land, the direction that you have for us and to realize that we don't know What that's going to look like, but we're going to trust you, and we're going to see with eyes of faith, and you shrink our problems, and you fill us with the promises of God. What could happen, Lord, if today we laid aside our old ways and chose to look through eyes of faith? I pray that for every person this year, for all of us as we trust you. We give you thanks, Jesus, in your holy name everybody said it together amen